Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Tune in weekly as Chris answers questions live from around the world and discusses topics in junior development, technical and tactical training, Spanish tennis methods, and philosophies, and more. The Prodigy Maker Show is primarily focused on high-performance junior training and how to help children maximize their potential. The program features intelligent insight from Chris and debate from leaders in the high-performance industry. The show can be watched live on Chris's Facebook profile, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. What's up, amigos? This is Chris Lewitt with The Prodigy Maker Show, episode 43, broadcasting to you live from the Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy, my club in Londonderry, Vermont, just outside of Manchester, Vermont. And we're taking a lunch break from my annual program. I have some players here training with me full-time. And I'm going to try to do the show on my lunch breaks because I've been jammed in the evenings. We normally do the show in the evening time, as many of you know. But my evenings have been crazy. We have the new baby. We have baby Ocean in the family. And I've been having trouble getting the show time rolling then. So I, I'm going to try for a lunchtime, a super lunchtime show. And I can do that flexibly here at the Academy. We've got fast internet here. And I think my mind is always plugged into tennis because I've been working with the kids all morning. We can do a great lunchtime program. So I hope this time works for you guys about 11 a.m., 11.15, 11.30, depending on when I get off the court, if I can find a cl- quiet place to talk with you guys and do the show, I think we're going to try to do that during the week. And then we'll, as you know, we take the show live. If you miss the show, we take the show, we take the audio, and we put it into a pod podcast that's very popular. And you can get the podcast on all the your favorite podcasting platforms. So if you have... Uh, on on iTunes, App, Apple Apple Podcasts, or Google Play, or any any of your favorite podcasts, you can catch the show, and I think that's a very convenient way to listen to the show. So, on today's program, I want to talk about return of service. It's been on my mind for the last couple of weeks, and I apologize for the delay in getting the show going. I uh, already have some comments on the board. Let's see. Kabir says, great to catch one of these live enjoying your footwork course. Okay, great. So yeah, so we're doing a little different time today. I'm glad some new folks can tune in live. Well, today's show is about the return of serve, all about the return of serve. And in my annual program, which started a few weeks ago, I have players here training with me five hours a day, 25 hours a week. So it's a pretty serious program for kids who are very passionate about the game and who want to train a lot. So the way I structured the program is you, we do an hour, hour and a half of serving and returning work every morning. And so I've been really digging into the return practice. And of course, I always work on the serve, but particularly the return game, uh, the return side of the game with the technique of the return and um, the tactics of the return and decision making and positioning. So I wanted to talk about that and and get into some of the details of 
what I'm seeing with the return. I've been having a lot of fun with the return of serve, been working on it with all the players who are visiting here. And I think that the return of serve in general is a very undervalued shot, underappreciated, and underpracticed. So when I was structuring this uh, annual program that I'm doing here, you know, the players can come in Monday through Friday, they can stay for a week, they can stay for a month, they can stay for the entire year. That's why I call it the annual program. And I wanted to address serving and returning in a, in a significant way and make it a big chunk of the day. So in general, of all the academies I've visited over the years, there, sometimes the return gets neglected. And even in my own summer camp, sometimes I think we could do more with the return. Sometimes it's left for the, the last few minutes of a practice and it's not given enough attention. So return or serve, what are some of the big keys that I've been working on? Okay, there's a lot of technical stuff. For example, with, with younger players, like I have some developmental players here who are maybe you know 12 and under, 10 and under, big ticket items are split step. It sounds so basic, but the split step is oftentimes poorly timed. So the kids, uh, some, some kids don't split step at all, but oftentimes on the, the split step, the kids will, will mistime it. They may split step too early. Uh, and then, so they're, they're coming down as if they never, they never split the split stepped at all. So the serve will come in and they'll be flat footed. They won't get a good reaction to the serve or some kids will split step too late and then they'll be in the air as the ball is coming. So in, in either one of those situations, the returner is not going to uh, get a good uh, read or jump to the ball and they're probably going to be in bad position for the return. Uh, split step technique. A lot of kids will split step inefficiently. Maybe they won't get very high in the air. Maybe they'll land flat footed or they'll land too narrowly. So with the return or serve technique, the split step, it's got to be uh, relatively high, wide. The landing has to be on the balls of the feet with the, the feet tilted forward. So the heels are coming off the ground and many kids will land flat footed. Or as I mentioned, they'll forget the split step. Uh, some kids will split step late. Some kids will split step too early. And I think that's a big factor on the return of serve, getting a good technical split step. So I've been spending a lot of time with that. And I've just been kind of surprised at how, how poorly executed that is for many younger kids. Probably with older kids, not, not as big of an issue. But especially with younger kids who are advanced players, but they're still developing. I think that's an area that needs a lot of work. I spend a lot of time on the, the eyes. I think that many kids are not tracking well. They're not reading the server, the server's technique, the server's, uh, the ball toss, and they're not tracking the ball coming in very well. It's very important to get the eyes coordinated and tracking all of the details that are happening with the service action. So across the net, the returner needs to Really focus in, look for technical cues, look for details, uh, look to, for uh, details that will give them uh, an insight into where the serve's going to go and how they're going to respond. So I think that's very important. Maybe 
it's not a technical issue per se, but I, I'll include it sort of under the, under the umbrella of technique. It's what are the eyes doing? Because the eyes connect to the feet, as they say in Spain so frequently. The eyes and feet are connected. And I want to see the returner focusing down the cord at the right location, watching the players form, watching the servers toss, watching the servers body position, watching the racket position, looking for all the little cues that they can get to give them a read on what's going to come next, and then to link that with a good split step. So for me, the eyes and the feet, watching carefully, uh, anticipating, and then linking that to a good split step, I think is paramount for a good return. And many kids fail either with with their reading skills, with their eyes, uh, and then, as I mentioned before, with the good good work with their feet in terms of the split step. You can also link in the mind, you know, eyes and mind and feet, uh, common, uh, common terminology that you see in Spain. On the return or serve, the eyes are going to give the mind the, the clues and the cues that, the, that you need to anticipate, to try to to determine and predict what's going to come from the server. So what I've noticed is many times kids are just purely reacting to what's coming. They, they don't have any insight into what's going to, going to be arriving from the server. So simple example is, you know, if the toss goes a little bit left, usually that indicates a kick serve. Or if you see a, more of a bend in the upper back, probably going to be a topspin or a kick serve. Uh, you know, you look for details in, ter in terms of the body position, what the feet are doing. Players have tendencies. Sometimes servers have little giveaways that tell you where they're going to serve. And I think you have to train that in children, especially young children, because oftentimes they're just standing there, sometimes frozen. They forget to split step or they split step poorly. And their first move to the ball is late. And the goal is to try to link the eyes and the mind with the feet and to get a really good sequence of, of action to get the, the returner to the ball as quickly as possible to get a good reaction, quick shoulder turn, and then feet in position so that the player can hit a, a good return uh, with balance, you know, to be in the optimal position to receive the ball to hit a good return. And so I've been spending a lot of time with that. It's been quite fun. I created this big chunk of time during the morning where, where it's not rushed. You know, I, still, I feel like in our summer camp and in a private lesson, I feel very rushed. I feel I don't have enough time to, to devote to the returner serve. So I've really been enjoying the last few weeks digging into this topic and digging into this practice. And to be able to do it every day, every morning, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, to have this chunk of time and to know that it's dedicated to the players, that they're going to work on their returns, not only their patterns, but all the technical elements, I think is just tremendous and tremendous value for the players who are here with me. And over time, as the weeks go on and the months go on, that's going to translate uh, significantly into success on the court. Because making the return, getting that point started is so critical to having a successful outcome in the match and in, in, in the individual points. So I'm super pumped to work on this area. I think it's a neglected area. It's an area that for, for better, for worse, for, for whatever reason, coaches 
a lot of coaches don't work on that much. Why is that? I think, number one, a lot of coaches don't want to blow out their shoulder. Like, it's very real that it's much easier to work on the serve. You know, you can bring the, the basket and the player can serve. But return is, it, it, it is very uh, stressful for the coach's shoulder. So, you know, imagine if you have a number of lessons lined up and you want to work on return. I mean, that's going to take a, a, a toll on, on the coach's shoulder. We are not machines. We are human beings with rotator cuff issues and shoulder issues. And so I think coaches just nat as, uh, naturally try to protect their shoulder. And if they do work on, re on return, they try not to over-serve. You have to be very careful with your serve count as a coach, you know. So anyway, I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons coaches don't work on the return as much, and at least in a private lesson setting. In a group setting, you can have the players serve to each other. Or if you, if you don't have too many lessons stacked up one after another, you, you can definitely serve as a coach, but you just have to be careful with your serve or pitch count or you're going to blow out your shoulder which no coach wants. But I think I, I know I definitely feel that at times I want to work on, on return, but I also don't want to uh, overstrain my shoulder by serving too much. So you have to be very careful as a coach to monitor what, uh, how many serves you're, you're delivering to the, the player, your student, and uh, be cautious not to overdo it. Because just as players should be careful with their serve count, so should coaches. But I think that's a big factor in why the return is not practiced as much because it's hard to practice. The coach has to deliver the serve, which is stressful on their shoulder, or anyone who is serving has to deliver the serve, which they, that, that's going to be a limited amount of serves that they can deliver based on fatigue in the shoulder. And it's not something you can practice on your own. Whereas serving, it's much more popular for players to practice their serve. Why? Because it's fairly easy to just grab some balls and go to a court and, and serve as something you can practice on your own. When I was a kid, I used to practice my serve for hours. I probably practiced my serve too much, it probably put my shoulder at risk, but it was easy to do. I could go out there. Some people get in the zone. They love to go out. It's sort of meditative or therapeutic for them. They go out there, all the troubles in the world fade away, you know, the, the whole pandemic chaos that we're experiencing fades away. You just go to the court and serve, maybe put some, some music on and, and you work on your serve targets, you work on your serve technique. But return is, is not something you can do independently and solo. And so I think it doesn't get the attention that it needs, uh, primarily for those two reasons, because the, the coach doesn't want to blow out their shoulder and because the player finds that it's not something very easy to practice on their own. I'm really into martial arts, for example. It's one of my big hobbies outside of tennis. I love tennis, but martial arts is probably my second passion. And I do a lot of MMA. So what I found, uh, just as a parallel in another sport, much easier for me to practice my boxing than my jiu-jitsu. Because jiu-jitsu requires, normally, a partner. Also requires mat space, which is not always uh, available or easy to get. So. When I'm, I find in my own martial arts practice, much easier for me to practice boxing. I can work on a bag. I can work uh, shadow boxing very easily. You can, you can box pretty much anywhere. You can, you can find a spot, small space, and box and work on your, your um, 
kickboxing, your, your kicks, your punches, your, all, all sorts of things like that. But with my jiu-jitsu, my Brazilian jiu-jitsu is much more difficult. You need a mat space, usually need a partner to work different moves. And, and so I tend to practice a little, I caught myself practicing a little more boxing than jiu-jitsu. And in MMA, you have to practice boxing, jiu-jitsu, and, and wrestling. You know, it's a, it's a three, three sport in one. It's a triad sport. So that's just a small example where because of the convenience factors, much, much easier for me to develop my boxing skills than my jiu-jitsu or my wrestling skills. And so I have to uh, be very specific and, and purposely carve out more time for my jiu-jitsu and, and wrestling and make sure that I practice that or else they'll get swallowed up with all of my boxing. The same in tennis. It's much easier to go out and practice your serve. You have to specifically and purposefully carve out time for your return. And you need to find a way to do it. You need a partner to serve to you, you need a parent to serve to you, or a coach to serve to you. And that is not always easy, even just logistically, to set up. So I think for those reasons, the return is neglected, and the return is in general underdeveloped with junior players. And so I wanted to rectify that in my, my training program here at the club, and I think I, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm very excited about the results that I'm seeing. Super pumped about it. Wanted to get back to a few issues with uh, technique. We talked about footwork. I have a, a note here from Scott Austin. Thanks, Scott, for sharing on the program. He says, I agree. Trying to get my daughter to do a more exaggerated split step. We were talking about how the split step is often a failure on the return of serve. I talked about the eyes and the mind. How about the stroke production itself? Uh, one of the things I've been working on a lot is the, the swing. Do players adjust the size of their swing? Do they modulate the, the shape and size of their swing? Or do they just swing the same way all the time? What I've noticed is most developing kids, younger kids, even, even advanced uh, developing kids, they tend to take uh, the same size loop that they would for their ground strokes. And what you see from the best returners in the world is they adjust their back swings. They adjust the, the shape and the size of their swing according, according to the ball coming in. And so I think that's another important lesson that all kids need to learn. When you're returning serve, it's not always the same response to the serve. Based on what your eyes and your mind give to you, what, what you read you adjust and modulate your swing. So a fast serve, a power serve that's coming in lower, it's a, you, you, you make that swing, the back swing a little smaller, you don't take as big a loop, and maybe you modulate the acceleration. Maybe you don't accelerate as much, it's more of a blocking or a guiding back of a big serve. And on second serves or slower serves, spin serves, you can take that big cut and accelerate fully. And so I think that is another example where, where kids who haven't practiced their return, I have many students who just take the same big swing, no matter what, like fast serve, slow serve, spin serve, and they don't, they don't adjust. They, either they're not aware that they should adjust or they haven't learned how to adjust their swing. And there's some different ways you can work on that on the court with players. But I think that's another very important area. You have the, the footwork... You have the, the adjusting of the swing. I think keeping the head still is a big one. That's another big thing that we've been working on. Is 
you track the ball in from the server and the returner should keep their head steady and stable as they hit. And I have a lot of players who are moving their head, maybe with the excitement of the moment or, or as a, as a uh, bad habit, they, they flick their head, their head is moving too much and they don't have that stability on the shot. So that's another thing that I work on in terms of the eyes tracking, tracking well, and then keeping the head still through uh, the return shot. There's a lot of footwork on the return. Aside from just the split step, I've noticed a lot of my students are not recovering well. They, are not, they don't know the different stances that they should take depending on the serve. So for example, there are uh, different footwork techniques you can use. Not too many. I usually teach about uh, three different uh, techniques for, for the platform, the stance, the, the support system for the return. And I think kids should learn that and they should practice those three and master those three different stances. So for example, you have uh, basic open stance. You know, players should set up open or semi-open when they don't have time. They use the open stance. They just turn their upper body with a shorter stroke and and they they swing from there with an open stance. Maybe they leave the ground. Maybe they just pivot. You have a a basic closed stance where you, the player moves, gets set up in a stable closed to neutral stance, and makes a, a kind of like a typical ground stroke from the baseline. And then you have a, a loading and a diagonal lunging step, which is very common on the on the return. A player will will set up. Uh, kind of with an open stance position and then explode with a, with a diagonal lunge or a diagonal power step. And so I usually teach those three variants. And I, and what I found is players are kind of clueless. Like they, they don't, they don't really know what steps they should use and what situations. And then the recovery is often very poor. I have some players who get caught in the midcourt if they're trying to take the, re, the return or the serve early. Or some players are, uh, they don't recover well, so they don't cover, they're not ready for the next ball. So the return, the plus one after the return is, they really struggle with that. Uh, but sometimes it's a footwork issue, like they hit the return, they watch the return, they don't make the subsequent, subsequent recovery steps and get into the right position, uh, in the court. And I'd like to talk about court position too, because I've been working a lot on the court position of my players, maybe more in the, under the tactical umbrella, but the court position is also, uh, a critical area to work on with players. So just to sort of recap, you have footwork stuff, split step, tech. This is all very technical. You know, everything has to be precise and, and, and detailed. Uh, you have the split step. You have the eyes and mind, the way the player's reading. You have the, the stances that a player uses so that they can receive the ball well and with balance and so they can transfer good energy into the ball. And you have the recovery footwork. So what I found is there's a lot more footwork than meets the eye on the return of serve practice and you need to train it with most players unless they're naturals. You know, some kids are kind of natural returners. They do a lot of these things intuitively or automatically without you having to teach them, but many, many kids, even very talented kids who are highly ranked players, I found they need instruction on, on a lot of these details. And we talked about the hands, you know, what you do with the swing. Do you always take a big cut? 
Do you, do you shorten the swing? Um, we talked about keeping the head still, you know, so these are sort of the, in the technical realm, some of the areas I've been working on and uh, I've, I've been very, very pleased with the work that we've been doing and also just a little bit surprised at how, uh, at how the, the kids don't really have an awareness of, of these aspects because they never practice it. They never, I ask nine out, nine out of 10 students, I say, you practice a return very much? Nine out of ten. Ten out of ten will say no. I don't practice my return. When I play matches, I hit some returns. When I play sets, I hit a return. I haven't practiced my return all year. I have students who tell me they never practiced their return before. Kind of surprising, but but true. So that's sort of the the technical arena. We got another note from Scott Austin. Scott, thanks for joining the program. He says, yes, my daughter was working with an instructor, and he emphasized when you're hitting against a really big server, it's often best just to block the serve back rather than trying to take a big swing at it. Yeah, that's pretty common knowledge, but I don't know if I mean block, but but there is certainly a blocking return that you can practice, but I mean modulating the swing so that you're still applying some force to the ball, but but uh, you're, you're basically sizing the backswing and the shape of your 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 take back with with the speed, you know, the speed of the serve and, and also the spin too. If the ball's kicking up, you have to recognize that early and raise up your preparation. If the ball is skidding low, like a low slice, you have to prepare a little bit lower with your preparation. So the players have to read and make a good decision in terms of, you know, uh, what stance they're going to take, what footwork skill they're going to use, and also what they're going to do with their hands. Are they going to take, uh, you know, a bigger cut, smaller cut, higher preparation, lower preparation? A lot of these things you can train, and you just got to give the re- the kids um, opportunities. You know, t- they need time. They need a chunk of time to work on the return. And then maybe most importantly, they need someone who can serve at them because that's the hardest thing is setting up setting up the serving because, as I mentioned, the serving will, will destroy. Uh, if you do too much, it can destroy your shoulder. That's why these new machines now that serve are really incredible. Um, just for example, I don't know if you guys are familiar with some of the ball machines out there. Playmate has one that you can that will elevate and shoot the serve down. And the Ace Attack is another machine that I'm I'm very interested in. I may purchase one here for the club just because I'm so passionate about working on the return. The Ace Attack is another machine that's really good, and it basically simulates the serve. It can serve up to, I don't know, 115 uh, miles per hour, can serve all of the different spins, you know, kick, slice, can serve a power serve. And you can, I think the technology, if the cost can come down a little bit, it's really going to dramatically change the ability to work on the return of serve. Because right now, only the most wealthy academies can purchase these types of machines they are very expensive the the ace attack i think i priced at five or six thousand dollars and the playmate machines are maybe double that so only the most wealthy clubs can get those machines for people to practice on and probably the club membership has to pay to use it because the club is trying to recoup some of their investment but i've considered buying uh the machine here the ace attack for the club here I think I, I, I may do that in the coming year. And you know, there, maybe I can work out a deal with the company, uh, get a, uh, some sort of 
sponsorship deal where we can maybe uh, get a better price on the machine. But I mean, who has that kind of money? What what typical tennis family or even a small club? We are a small club here. Has you know six or ten thousand dollars to throw down on the machine? It, it's this is a a big cost hurdle for for any for the typical family uh, for sure. And even for commercial establishments. So, but I think the technology itself is really the solution, so that coaches don't have to hurt their shoulders, and so that players can do a high volume of serving. Obviously, the 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 best way you can do it in a group is to have the players serve and return at, uh, with each other. But sometimes that doesn't always work uh, uh, that great because. You know, maybe one player is feeling off; they're not making their targets, and so the other player who's returning has a lot of downtime. You know, so you have to make sure the kids are really focused and really engaged when they're working on their serves and returns, and that they're making uh, enough balls so that there's not a lot of wasted time. Uh, and the machine, the technology, is is an incredible tool because every serve will go in, and the player gets to get. Uh, gets a high, uh, a high amount of balls to practice that uh, high volume. You know that's hard to achieve with someone serving because their arm gets tired, or or with another player who misses a lot. You know the coach can make a lot of serves, but arm's going to get tired. Uh, the players can can make some serves, and you can mix players around and and alternate players so they don't they're not putting too much wear on their shoulder. But sometimes when you're playing with other kids. The kids will miss too many serves, and it won't be the best practice. So, Scott Austin says, should a player have a plan before receiving every serve where they are going to return the ball to? That's a really great question. And that actually is a very good segue. I didn't set that up with Scott. He's just threw that question out there. And it's, it's actually a good segue into sort of the tactical realm. I try to give you guys an overview of, of some of the technical elements that you need to train. And so in the tactical realm... That's a big one, having a plan for the return. And I think that's a big thing that we've been working on here is trying to get the players to work on their targets. So we have three, for the, for the return, we have four main targets. We have three deep targets and we have one short angle target. And I want the players to master those four targets. So we have deep cross court, deep down the middle, deep down the line, and you have cross-court short angle. And so as a corollary to those targets, you got to have a plan. So like Scott is saying, many, I think what he's intimating is that many players will step up to the line to return and they don't have a clue what they're going to do. They don't have any sort of game plan. And I think that's the biggest thing I want to impress on my players tactically, or one of the big, one of the big ticket items is that when you, when you step up to the line to re- receive the serve, you should start formulating a plan in your mind. You should, you should start visualizing one or two shots ahead. And I think the best players in the world, the best juniors in the world, are thinking one or two shots ahead, if, if maybe not more, at least one shot ahead. So that means, that implies that you must have a target. You, you want to try to anticipate what's going to come in, what the server is going to deliver, the server is going to deliver to you, and then you want to think about where you want to play your ball, whether that means maybe you want to set up the opponent's backhand, maybe you want to play down the middle deep, maybe you want to work an angle and open up the court and get your opponent to run. 
But for me, that's the beginning of formulating a good tactic on the return to developing a good return strategy. And in my experience, most kids are, are completely clueless, except the really good ones, the ones who are intuitive returners. They're, they're very clueless on, on targeting and planning. And I think that should be happening during the, the ritual before you step up to receive. You know, we work a lot on the rituals here. A lot of people do that, so that's not really unique. But I think you want to ingrain in, inside the rituals, so what, whatever the kids do in the 20 or 25 seconds they have before returning, you want to make sure that they are starting to formulate a plan. Where do I want to play this ball? And it doesn't mean they can't call an audible and maybe change their plan based on the serve because you don't always know where the serve is going to go. But you can start to formulate a game plan. I want to return deep there. Or I want to return short angle here. Or I'm going to return to the, to the back end. And then, if, and then they may play there and then I'm going to play there. And so we, we try, I'm trying to emphasize to the players, let's pick a target, have a plan in mind. You can always change your plan. And then let's also try to, uh, to think forward like a chess player and, and, and anticipate what's going to happen next and visualize what's going to happen next. Maybe even see it vividly in the mind's eye. I, I like to work with visualization on the serve and return. We could talk about the serve a little bit too because the same sort of routines, targeting, planning should happen on the serve. And with most junior kids, especially kids who are developing, they don't have much of a plan when they're serving either. They don't visualize what they want to happen, uh, what they want to happen. They don't, they don't anticipate the, the returner's reply and then their next shot, their serve plus one. And so they're sort of left adrift to just react and, and play sort of random shots uh, during the initial stages of a point, the first four or five shots in a point, which as a lot of you guys know, Many mistakes are made in the first four or five shots, and, and a lot of players lose points, and you can lose matches in the first four or five shots of, of each point. So having a, a clear visualization, a clear game plan, I think that, that helps to solidify and improve the consistency of the decision-making early in the point, so in the first four or five shots. I think Craig O'Shaughnessy would be very happy that I'm, that I'm saying this. Uh, you know, Craig O'Shaughnessy is the ATP analyst who always talks about the, the first four or five shots and how critical they are. And they are. They're very important. And I've, I've, never, I've, never, I've never argued against the importance of, of the first, of the serve, return, and, and the initial shots after those shots. But if you have that plan, you have that visualization, it's going to be easier to to sequence the next few shots and your, your decision making will be more clear, more decisive, and you'll be confident in your decisions and you, you're likely to make fewer errors. So, so that's where, you know, Scott, you asked a great question about uh, planning and, and, and I think planning and targeting is key for both serving and returning and, and most kids struggle with that. Most kids maybe not even aware of that. They just react and when players react, they don't make as good decisions, and they often fail. The sh many times the shots will fail, and they'll make errors. Scott has a follow-up question. He says, do you ever try a drop shot 
when returning serve. I know drop shots are very risky. I'm not a huge fan of the return of serve drop shot, although I have some creative students who will try to play that. Typically, you wait for a short serve, and I just don't think it makes a lot of tactical sense because by definition, the server, or at least the server should be by, by uh, de facto entering the court. So the server is, is de facto entering the court because they're jumping up into the court. And the only time a drop shot is going to work if the server is sort of fading back and you catch them off guard. So it, it can be a good surprise tactic that you can use rarely, maybe um, in, in, in a, on an important point where you, f you maybe freeze a player who's, who's a, the server who's moving backward off of, off of their landing. So they're going to land inside and they start to shoot backward to anticipate your big forehand, for example, and then you catch them, you freeze them with the drop shot. And it can work, but just by, 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 by definition, the server is going to be, you know, entering the court, getting closer to the net. And I think it, it doesn't make a lot of tactical sense to hit a short shot when the opponent is, is when the server is moving in. Uh, just, just as a general rule, you know, usually you want to hit a drop shot when, when, when the opponent's pushed outside of the court. So just, in general, the server is entering the court, and so it's hard to justify uh, the drop shot when the player is inside the baseline. When, usually you want to drop shot when the player is outside the baseline. So sometimes it will work if, if you catch the player moving outside and you surprise them. So I think it's not an illegitimate shot. It's perfectly reasonable shot. You have to be very careful in letting young kids experiment, experiment with that too much because sometimes kids will get sloppy and careless and they'll try to make um, too many of those shots and it'll, it'll create sort of a messy uh, chaotic scene on the return of serve so I would say you can you can do it on a, if the serve is short and you notice that the player tends to uh, move outside after they enter the baseline then it can it can be done but it's not certainly not a shot that I work on uh, a lot with my players, and usually only the the most creative players will try that. Most players who are who don't have that that Nick Kyrgios flair, they are usually going to just stick with the basic four targets: the three deep targets and the angle. And uh, the by the way, the the deep target down the middle is is uh, as many coaches have said, and I, I'll include myself in in. You know, many top coaches work on that return, and I think it's a very, very, it's a high percentage return, very valuable return, very underrated return, where you return, the opponent is entered, we're talking about playing deep now, so the opponent has entered the court, you play deep at their feet and surprise them down the middle. It's one of my favorite returns that I used to work on a lot, although I wish I had practiced my return more when I was uh, training and playing on the pro circuit, but... Uh, it, it's one of my favorite returns, especially if I'm feeling a little tight or I'm, I'm lacking a little confidence. I try to put that ball big, big down the middle so I have a, a wide, uh, wide margins and I'm going to go over the low part of the net and I'm going to try to surprise the server as they're finishing their serve motion. I think it's a, a great return. It doesn't give the server a lot of angles and that's one that we work on a lot with the players. What else? Targeting. I think targeting is huge for return or serve. As I, as I was mentioning before, um, and Scott mentioned it too, having a plan, having a target in mind, that's a start. Just a player 
steps up to the line, uh, to the baseline more or less, and they, they go through their ritual, and they're starting to formulate a target, where they want to put it, and they start to visualize what's going to come next from the server. Down the line target. I think it's really important to work the down the line return. I wish, I wish to God I had practiced that return more when I was playing full time. Because I think that it was a weak return for me. It cost me a lot of points and I could have had a lot more success if I, if uh, proving to the server that I could make that down the line return more because I don't feel I owned it enough. And I think for the players uh, that I'm coaching, many of them don't have much of a down the line return either. And uh, along with working on just the mechanics of it and the targeting, you can also emphasize to them that this is a return. It is a little higher risk. The, the net is higher. The court is a little bit shorter, but this is a very important return to use from time to time, maybe on a big point, maybe on a setup point where you can surprise their, the server who's maybe waiting for uh, a normal, uh, safer cross-court shot, cross-court return, or down-the-middle return. It's a very important serve uh, return for surprise. It's an important serve. It's a, an important return to use uh, when your opponent's not expecting it. So in, in that context, I think the down-the-line return is, is huge. So that means if someone serves, in very different scenarios, if someone serves wide, you got to be able to pop one straight down the line for a winner. If someone serves in the middle or body, you have to be able to take that solid, consistent return down the line uh, to start the point. So I think working on the down the line return is very important. You have to work all four of the target zones. So the angle return. How many kids practice their angle return, short angle return? I asked that question to some of my students and it was just like I was speaking a different language. I don't practice my return that much at all, let alone practice something specific like that. You know, the angle return is incredibly powerful return. If someone comes to net, it's a killer, gets down low. If the opponent stays back, it makes them run and you open space. You know, it's, it's a wonderful open return. Like in Spain, they say the abierto, it's, a, it's an opening. You're specifically looking to open the court with your return play and set up your next shot, maybe a big forehand for a winner after that or, or uh, uh, another, another open shot to make your opponent run all the way across the court. So, you know, how many, how many kids are thinking about that when they're returning serves? Are they saying, geez, I'd like to open the court here. I'm going to open the court with an angle and get the server on the move. Uh, I don't think many kids think about that very much. Not, certainly the ones, who, the ones who struggle with their return and breaking are, are not thinking about that. So I have deep down the middle, you have uh, uh, down the line that is maybe a little bit riskier, but you gotta, you got to pull the trigger on that in important moments and set up points and things like that. You have the angle return that opens the court, very effective return, but you got to practice it a lot. It's, it's not the most easy return to practice. And you have the the essential solid deep cross return, you know, very fundamental return. We're going to play long line cross and sort of start the point that way. It may not be your, the, the most flashy shot, but it's a good deep solid return. And we're going to get the point started like that. So I think those four types of return targeting and having a plan, tactical plan behind those targets 
is absolutely critical. And it's been so much fun training this and carving out the time for it because the kids, uh, you can see their minds opening, the eyes opening. And they're like, wow, they're starting to like, con you know, visualize sequences of, t of, of shots in their mind. And, and I know that that's going to translate to better results when they're playing matches. And the goal ultimately is to put pressure on the server and to achieve breaks. You know, tennis is about holding serve, breaking serve. Uh, it's amazing that we spend so much time serving, working on holding that way, but we don't allocate uh, an, an equivalent amount of time to breaking. You know, the return of serve is the key to breaking serve, to putting pressure on the server. So, Scott has another follow-up. I see my friend John Logan Minier Tennis is also watching. Guys, great to have you on the program today. Little lunchtime show, little lunchtime live show with Chris at the Academy here. This is kind of fun. I think we'll, we'll, this is a time that works as long as I can get a quiet room here at the club and, and uh, my students are not bouncing off the wall during lunchtime. Sometimes the kids go a little crazy during lunch break. But so far, it's been fairly quiet and sounds like there's been no, uh, no issues uh, with, my, with the students here during lunch. You never know. Scott says, how about the stance on return of serve? I feel my daughter stands too tall when waiting for the serve. And should they do a split step and then move forward into the court right after their split step? All right, these are great questions from Scott. So nice to have you tuning in and adding to the program, Scott. See you're working with your daughter there. And your questions will help, you know, are helpful for the whole audience. Guys, if you have any questions, you know, on this show, you're always free to ask. It's not just my philosophy and my perspective. I like to, well, a lot of the show is that. But I do like to get your, your input. And sometimes we get some great discussions and debates going on on the program. And your questions always help me to think through topics and issues. So I, I appreciate uh, any intelligent debate and conversation we can have. So thank you for adding to this, Scott. In terms of the split step, how, how, how high should it be? It says too tall. Your daughter stands too tall. Yes, the, it's important to get a good half squat to have a good posture. You know, I work a lot in the balance, and that's maybe something I should have mentioned in the, the technical side of the, in the, the beginning of the show where we talk some, about some of the technical parameters. But, you know, balance and posture is a big thing for me, is the, the, way, the, player, the, the way the player's torso is aligned, is if it's straight up and down, are they tipping forward too much? Are they leaning back too much? Are they falling to the side during shots? You know, it's very important to split step with good posture, which I notice, especially with developing players, they struggle with that. Maybe less so with, with more experienced players. Not always, you never know. Uh, when they're moving to the ball, are they balanced? Are, and are they setting up with good posture for the shot? And many players are not in good position, not in good balance for the shot, and it corrupts the technique of the shot. Like they're too close to the ball, corrupts the swing. They're, they're late, they're too far, and, it, it, and their, their balance is... If, if the balance is upset, then the shot usually is not very reliable. In terms of the split step, should you split step forward? Most players do split step with a forward momentum. But it's not always the case. Sometimes you might want to go back. You know, once the toss goes up, 
this is something that I work on with a lot of players, and I probably won't be able to touch on every, every aspect that we're working on here in just this short program. We usually do you know, about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour in the show. I feel I'm going to forget some, some important things we're working on, but you, you, maybe I can't cover every aspect, but another thing we'll work on is moving when the server tosses. I don't think that's trained very often either. You know, players sometimes just pick a position. Oh, we were going to talk about positioning. I should, should talk about positioning. So many times players will pick a court position and uh, the server will, will toss and they don't, they don't ever move. They don't ever change their position. I think changing the positioning on the returner server is very important. It's an important part of the tactical game plan. And for example, many times the server will have their eyes up. As soon as the server looks up, unless they can see something out of their peripheral vision, they usually can't really tell which way you're moving. And sometimes they can get, an in, they can get sort of a, gl a short glimpse and they see some movement, but they, they can't really know if you're moving forward, back, left or right. So one of the things I like to work on is as soon as the eyes of the server lock upward uh, towards the ball, I work on the players moving in a surprise way, in a secret way, relatively secret way. Uh, it's very common to set up the big forehand, so the inside out or the, 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 in, the inverted forehand, as they say in Spain, and Tony Nadal calls it the inverted forehand. Uh, that's, that's a very common tactic. The toss goes up, eyes of the server go up, and the player starts to move to the left for a right-handed player to get the inverted forehand. Uh, you could sneak forward if you want to take the return earlier than than the server has uh, than the position that you set up with set up initially. So uh, you can sneak in. You can back up and give the server a different look and play heavy. That's one that you, that you don't see players work on very much either in terms of positioning, going back farther in the court, letting the ball die out, the bounce of the ball die out, and playing a heavy ball, a heavy topspin. It's one of Rafael Nadal's favorite strategies on the return. I love to do that myself. It's, uh, I can take a big cut at the ball. You can play heavy with good margins, and it's a very tough ball for, your, for the server to continue attacking you with because it's coming in high and heavy. Nadal does that all the time. He loves to return from, deep in, from a deep position and play heavy. I think that's a legitimate return. Taking the ball early, like the way Djokovic does, the way Agassi used to do, the way many, many of the best returners in the world do inside the baseline, taking time away is another very good um, court position and tactic to work on. So these are kind of some of the other things that I'm working on with my players. Where do, you, where do you position yourself? Do you always position yourself in the same place? Probably you shouldn't. Probably you should move around. And you don't always have to move around where the server can see you moving. You can, you can start to move around your position, adjust your position in a secret way if you do it when the toss is up and the player, the server locks their eyes up. You can start moving around and, and surprising the server without them knowing it, which is an excellent strategy. So, yeah, sometimes you might want to split step forward. Usually that's the standard way to split step. You could split step straight up and down. You could split step backward, depending on your tactic. If you're moving back to play heavy, you're not going to split step forward. If you're looking to take time away, you split step forward, and then you rob. You can you know, take a better inside the baseline court position. So... Core position is a big thing to work on with return. 
You know, the players have to have a GPS system. They have to have the system turned on. They have to know where they are. Are they behind the baseline? Are they setting up shop inside the baseline? Are they going to move when the toss goes up or not? Are they going to look for the big forehand? That's the classic play that I teach, you know, maybe coming from a Spanish background. If it's a second serve, I want my players to move to the left. I want them to move in a, a secret or surprise manner. Toss goes up, server's eyes go up, you start moving to the left, you set up your big forehand, you go inside out, you go inside in, and you start to plan your tactic uh, that way. You start to plan one or two shots ahead, thinking like a chess player. Now, these are some of the elements that I've been working on. So much fun, so much fun to get on the court with the, with the players and do this. And just the way this program is structured, because I have five hours a day with the kids, I can, I don't feel rushed. It's such a pleasure that I, I can just, you know, we can spend an hour on returning every morning. How many players get to do that? It's really a luxury. It's really, it's really lovely. It's really nice. And I don't feel rushed, you know, and then we can spend some time on serving tactics too. And these are the most important shots in the game, serving and returning. So I have this big chunk of time that I set up here and I'm so happy. It's, it's very different if you're teaching a private lesson or, if you only have kids in the after-school setting, so your kids come for an hour and a half or two hours after school, or you have just a private lesson that's an hour, an hour and a half, there's a lot of time pressure. I, I never feel like I have enough time to work enough on the, the serve. I, I usually get more serve time in, but it's very hard to get serve and return time, uh, significant time allocated to, to, to those shots and those tactics and, and those techniques in a, a one hour or one and a half hour private or, or even just an after school uh, group kind of setting. The only way I've found that I'm able to do it is in a full time setting like I'm doing here where the players are here for the whole day and I have a big chunk of time and I can, I can really dig into um, uh, what I need to do with the serve and return. So that, that's what I found. It's, it's so much pressure otherwise, so much pressure to, not, there's too much time pressure to really dig into all these details uh, if you have just an hour, hour and a half, or, or if you're after school. After school groups, there's so much pressure to get things done because the kids are coming from school, they have to get back for homework, and, and just in general, I feel always stressed. I'm always stressed out in the after school group versus a full day program like a summer camp is, is better. Uh, this this year-round uh, full-time program is much, much better. Uh, it's much more enjoyable for me as a coach because you have more time. So if you have any more questions, guys, let me know. I think I've got to get out there and start beating up on the kids here in a few minutes. The afternoon session is coming, and I, I, I've been playing in with all the students here. It's just a lot of fun, and it's keeping my game sharp, too. I like to, we do a lot of technical work and drills in the morning, and in the afternoon we always do points and sets and and, and more tactical focus in, in general. And so I'm always looking forward to after lunch where I can go out and beat up on the kids on the red clay here. It's a lot of fun. And we, we'll be on the clay for hopefully another couple months here. I'm gonna play on the clay until uh, the late fall here and then we gotta go indoors. But, but right now we're on the red dirt every day. It's so much fun. Let's see if I can think of anything else in terms of the tactical realm, anything I forgot offhand. We talked about surprise movement, secret movement, court positioning, targeting, planning, 
rituals. You know, rituals. Everyone knows about rituals, but a lot of times the kids don't do that. You know, uh, and and what do they do in the rituals? Are they are they coming up formulating a game plan? Do they have nice set rituals? Talked about the different targeting. Talked about having a good plan. Yeah, uh, I think those those are that's pretty much the, the overview. But I think in general, my recommendation for anyone who's listening or watching is first you have to set up the logistics of how how are you going to practice the return you need someone to serve or you need a machine to serve there's no way to practice the return without serve so that to me is the biggest challenge like i mentioned in my martial arts it's much easier to practice boxing than jujitsu but why because in jujitsu you need a partner and in tennis much easier to practice serve than return because return you need a partner so if you're a parent or a coach or a player and you, you, you want to set out on this journey to develop a better return of serve, I guess my biggest advice is figure out the logistics. You've got to figure out, you've got to get someone, maybe you have to pay someone, you know, pay someone to serve to you. Uh, if you have a lot of money, you can get one of the machines to do it. You know, but most people, they have to get like a friend or a coach or a parent who can serve, you know, and and. Try to be understanding that. Try not to blow out your partner's shoulder. And try to give them some breaks, for God's sakes. But, you know, try to get a high volume of returning in, very focused returning with a partner, with someone who can serve accurately and consistently, hopefully consistently to you, so it's, there's not a lot of wasted time. Because if the server misses five out of ten serves, it's not, not the best practice, you know. And... And then start carving out time in your day. If you have a full day to train, like some of the kids here do, then it's better. If you have just after school or just a lesson, it's so hard. Like, I don't know how you can do it. To be honest, I don't know how you can do it. Because you go after school, you have to do some ground strokes, you have to play points. How do you have time to work uh, specifically on return? You know, usually you just have to get it in some, in some points, work on a few things and points. You can try to do that, but I think focused targets, planning, rituals, getting the technique right, that has to be done on the practice court, not, not points. Not, the points come later. The points are the reward. The points are the dessert. This morning, I was working with the player, and he said, Chris, can we play points this morning? I said, sure, we can play points after, after you do your fundamentals here, after you show me 15 or 20 good returns to this target, or after you show me you can adjust your court position, you know, or, you know, things like that. Um, so I, I think the... I, I don't know, guys. If you don't have a full day to train, there's always going to be some holes in your game. You have to prioritize different things. If you only have after school, part day, part of the day training, it's probably going to be more. You got to get your ground strokes in. Got to play points. Work on some patterns, and you can probably going to serve a little bit. I mean, I know many programs, and I've probably lamented to you guys on this show before that I know many programs that don't serve that much. I mean, forget the return. This this show is about return, but I know pro, many programs that don't, many academies don't don't serve that much. Some of the Spanish academies don't serve enough, and and that's one of the biggest failures I think of some of the the even some of the most famous Spanish academies. Many of them in the past they're, they're rectifying that now, 
But in the past, the many Spanish programs didn't serve that much, and Spanish players never were never very well known for their serves anyway. Uh, probably because of that, you know, many times, many Spanish programs they don't they only serve a little bit at the end, and you know, ninety percent of the time is spent on ground strokes. I think that's 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 probably a mistake. So if you if you can try to allocate a little, a little more time each day in your training to return. So beneficial. Got to line up someone to serve to you, someone who's calm and reliable and consistent. You know, you know, some crazy person who's missing, you know, missing serves all over the place. You don't want a wild man serving it. You have to be someone, you know, calm and focused who can be accurate with the serve. And then you start, you start developing your targets. Start developing your maybe if you have some someone who can help you with your technique. Listen to the first part of the program. Uh, that, where I talked about some of the technical skills. And, and then ultimately, the, the goal is to take the tactical part, the targeting, the, the planning, the sequencing of, of different uh, shots and patterns, and incorporating that into your match play and into your, your DNA, your athletic DNA, and letting that become part of your, your game. And I think if you work on this area in a focused way, the way I'm describing, and you dedicate a lot of time to it, you will see much better match results. Your UTR will go up. Your USDA ranking will go up. Your ITF ranking will go up. Your, your game is going to improve so much because when you, play, when you play tennis and you're able to put pressure on the server and you're able to put a lot of consistent... You're consistently able to re, get the point started on the return games... It, it, it makes a huge difference, huge difference. If you're, only, if you're only able to hold, if you have like a decent serve game and you don't have the complimentary return game, it, it's, it's never going to, you can play well, you can win matches, but you're never going to be as dominant as someone who's got a great return game. And of the, all the great players that I've uh, competed against and... Uh, the best players in the world that you see on the ATP Tour or WTA Tour, the ones that can really steamroll. In junior tennis, the kids that can really steamroll, the kids that can dominate an entire draw, those are the ones that don't just have a good serve. They have a really good return where they can, they can beat you. They can beat you 12 straight games, 6-0, 6-0. They can beat you 6-1, 6-1, 6-2, 6-1. How do you get score lines like that? The only way to get a score line like that is you got to break. you got to break serve consistently and reliably. And the only way to do that is to have a solid return, a rock-solid return. So I, I feel to be truly dominant, you have to have both the, the strong serve and the strong return. And the way I see it, if, if players are lucky, they're working on their serve a little. My players are working on their serve a lot, but now we work on, we work on both. You know, we work on both con consistently and and unfortunately, some players, if they have time, they barely have enough time to work on their serve game. So they're, they're able to hold fairly well, but the return game gets short shrift. The return game is somewhat neglected. And only the kids that are sort of lucky do they, they develop a rock-solid return game. But it's not because of focused, dedicated practice. Remember, if you want to be truly dominant, you've got to have both. You've got to have the return side and the serve side, both sides of the coin, not just one. 
Uh, I think Scott had a last remark here. I'll try to get to this question. Scott says, on some program, if you could dedicate some time to improving players' reaction time and recognizing the ball earlier, are there any good drills for that or exercises? Okay, that's a great question. There's probably a lot to discuss there. In Spain, just as a short, quick example, in Spain they have many, many exercises that they use to develop the eyes and the reactions of a player, uh, particularly from the ground, uh, in, in ground strokes. So I don't know if you've seen any of my videos or, or any of my courses, but I, I have produced some. Uh, we, we have an online school at clta.teachable.com, which we have some good courses. And I, I think we have, uh, like, we have one with advanced Spanish exercises. I believe we have uh, a number of drills on reaction in both the, the basic Spanish course and the advanced Spanish exercises course. Or just contact me by email or, or message me. Uh, my email is chris at chrislewitt.com and I can try to get you some resources for that. We have a really good blog at prodigymaker.com. It's a free blog. All this stuff is free. The, the courses are not expensive. The online courses are, are very inexpensive. And our blog is free. My YouTube channel is free. So you, you, I'm not sure if we have any of those demonstrated on the YouTube channel. But basically in Spain, they have a lot of really good exercises for um, the eyes, reading, reacting fast. Most of them are fed with the, hand, with the hand up close. So the player gets to work on that. And I highly recommend learning that type of system where you can start training the eyes and the reactions of your player. And then you could definitely... Uh, Adapt some of those drills for returner serve. Returning serve, by its by its nature, is training the eyes in reaction because the ball is coming fast. So you can, if you need to uh, challenge your player, you can stand closer and serve serve to them uh, from a closer distance. That's a very popular way to improve the reaction time. And there's a number of eye tracking software programs now that I'm fascinated by that I want to study more and I don't know if you, you, you're familiar with any of those but there's a number of uh, eye and vision experts who are getting into the field of athletic training and improving athletic performance so uh, this is an area that I, I'm not too familiar with yet but it's on my long list of to-do items right now where I, I want to explore different programs that are out there, different software programs, there are apps, there are computer programs, um, technology basically. There's, there's new, there are new technological aids to help improve the eyes, to improve the, the vision, the reaction time, the tracking. So I would encourage you to do a Google search and maybe start exploring some of, some of those, those uh, training aids as well. So there's things you can do on the court with the ball and feeding and, and and improving the player's reaction there and, and improving the eyes and the reading there. Uh, but I think there's also some new sort of modern, if, you, if you're into technology, which I, I am always into uh, the next wave and then I like to be on the cutting edge. I think there are some exciting software and computer programs and uh, there's a whole new field of, of vision training for athletic performance that is that is growing right now. and. And it's a new field that I'm fascinated by, and I think there's probably a lot of benefit to those types of technologies. So uh, you can explore. If you find any good ones, let me know, and, and I will be exploring that area as well. It's on my to-do list, but I think that is a very interesting 
uh, area of, of study and, and, and I think more and more players, especially tennis players who need to have quick reactions and sharp eyes will be taking advantage of those types of technological aids. So there's the old school way, you know, the Luis Bruguera way, hand feeding with a tennis ball on the court, uh, different drills on the court, and then there's, there's the uh, modern technological way of, with, with an app or with uh, different lights that you can, you can touch. Or, uh, you know, there, there's a, there are new technologies coming out now uh, in the field. There, there are uh, uh, glasses that you can wear. There, are, there, there may be, uh, you know, there's a lot of new technologies in this field that are really cool that, that I, I'm still learning about. So I'll point you in that direction. Guys, it was a great show, a lunchtime live show. If I don't get on the court now, my students are going to be mad at me. I've got to go kick some butt. I will see you guys very soon. Remember, if you like the show, please give me a thumbs up. Uh, please, if you like the show on YouTube, subscribe. If you like the show on podcast, please subscribe there. And uh, we're always, we always appreciate positive reviews. If you give the show a positive review, it just helps with our search results. Thank you for that. Thank you for visiting my websites, chrislewitt.com, prodigymaker.com. We have the free blog at prodigymaker.com. Appreciate you guys. I love having the audience. I love sharing all the ideas. Scott, it's great to, great to meet you. Uh, I think it's first time sharing on the show. Thank you so much. And guys, remember, if you want to come train with me, I'm here. I'm at the club in, in Vermont, in Manchester, Vermont. Come and, and visit. Bring your players up. You, we have full-time boarding here. You can, you can live here for a week. You can live here for a month or a year. You can come with your families and train with me. So anytime you want to come train, I got that covered here, and it will be professional, high-level training with a lot of passion and personal attention, not like the big commercial academies. All right, I'll see you guys next time. Vamos! We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt, and the show can be watched live on Facebook. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the show. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. And vamos.